0: Good evening and welcome to Friday Night with Friends at Newark UPC. We work hard all week. And then on Friday night, we sit down with a friend and just chat. I don't have a cup of coffee, but it's that kind of a chat. So tonight, I have my friend with us, Dr. Lois Truman. And I'm going to read her very impressive bio here real quick. So y'all can know a little bit about how amazing she is. And then we're going to talk about her life. So Lois Truman began her career as an elementary school teacher. She earned her master's of education prior to becoming a school guidance counselor and later worked as a guidance counselor for the Army Education Center. While her husband was active duty as an Army chaplain, Lois was director of several Army Child Development Centers. She was on the team that created the training modules for child development associate credentialing, Lois continues to teach college level early childhood courses as she has done for over 15 years. Her PhD is in child and family studies from Syracuse University, New York with a specialty in infant and toddler development. In addition to to teaching for Ivy Tech Community College of Indiana, she is children's ministry director for University City Family Church in Missouri and is director of New Destiny Child Care Center in Maplewood, Missouri. She volunteers in her grandchildren's schools and tutors refugees and immigrants learning English to pass the U.S. citizenship exam. So I'll ask you, first of all, what do you do in your free time? (laughs) It sounds like you're very, very busy. Well, yesterday I just painted the kitchen. So. Oh, well, there you go. You do have some free time. All right. Now I can. T- you I can tell you're a person that doesn't like to to sit and just eat bonbons.
1: <laughs> no, I I carry knitting. And knitting oh. with me, so I'm always, you know, knitting is good. Yes. Yes. yes.
0: So what I want to do is start at the beginning. As, as a history teacher, I I heard said one time. The best way to tell a story is to start at the beginning. So, um, tell me a little bit about. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, your first few years. Where you're born. What was the context? Just share with us. Okay,
1: Well I don't know my, what you told me in that document, but just tell, tell okay. that to the group here. Uh, my my father was um, a minister, and when he married my mom they went to Richmond, Indiana, where there was a very small group of people that uh, needed a church there because of the rationing during the war of gasoline and tires. So my grandfather had asked him to come there and start, you know, create this church for this group of people that had been traveling to my grandfather's church. So that was in 1944. I had a brother that was born in 1945. Uh, But uh, he ended up being born in St. Louis, again because of the doctor situation. My mom went back to her home in St. Louis, Missouri and had him. And then uh, the following year I was born and my mom did the same thing. So consequently I was born in St. Louis. Although when I was 13 days old, I went back to Richmond, Indiana And lived there through the fifth grade and when my father got a special calling he had a dream about a man in a like a turban and a robe uh, asking him to come help them and he didn't know where this country was or anything about it so upon looking further they discovered that it was in uh, Libya like the the man that the clothing excuse me that he had was from Tripoli, Libya. So we started preparing to go as missionaries. My two brothers, oh, I then did have a third brother that ended up being born in Richmond. So we all went uh, to prepare to go to North Africa. And how old were you? I was, at that time, I was in fifth grade. How did you feel about that? What did you think of that? Oh, I loved it. I just think everything that happens in life is just a yeah. wonderful adventure. And I love I, that. I, was, I love that outline. I just felt very special. In fact, my whole life, I've had so many different experiences. Uh, when we did get, we ended up not going to Libya through a bunch of things that didn't work out.
0: We can talk about some of those. But
1: okay, yeah. we ended up in Jerusalem, actually. So my parents uh, resigned the church after like 13 years being there. They they resigned and we went to uh, live with we we went spent a year in Indianapolis because there was no missions plan. I mean, you had to raise your own money and figure out your own budget, and there was no uh, systematic way so this the before day. the
0: days of PIMs and, and yeah. travel deputation schedules and all, I know our missionaries today are very frustrated and hate deputation, but it's much better than it used to be. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I will tell you, I, I wasn't planning to tell this, but I just feel like saying this, uh, my dad and grandfather took a trip over first ahead to scout out the area. Right. So my mom traveled with the, on the weekends with my, my two brothers and myself, and we still went to churches to raise funds. So uh, we had our system down, and my brother showed the slides in, in absence of my dad and all this. And we got up there and did our little song and did everything. Bob was sixth grade, I was fifth grade, and Ed was third grade. So, when we did that, uh, and we kept saying to my mom on the way there, we kept saying, "Oh, we're we want to eat. We're so hungry." You know, <laughs> this is a true missionary story. <laughs> and mom said, "We will." Said they'll give us an offering, and we'll be able to. Buy a hamburger or something. I don't know what. So, <coughs> excuse me. So we started on the way um, at this service. Everything was going great. They had us. the The pastor had us stand up and hold the offering. Oh no! And they. I mean, we can see there was a lot of money going in the offering plates. And we're thinking, oh, this is wonderful. Bob and I did. We're going to have hamburgers tonight. (laughs) At the end of the service, we got not one cent from that church. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't tell that story very often. I just feel like uh, saying that for some reason to show that in spite of all of that God made a way we were able to go overseas we were able to do the work that God called us to do and I never heard a negative word from my parents in any way shape or form about that situation yeah Uh, so and in fact years later the lady that was the treasurer told my mom said that was the biggest offering we had ever received for missionaries. And my mom told her then. she said, well, sister B, we didn't get one. Penny of that. <laughs> and she was horrified. Uh, Keeping a good attitude
0: is just it, as important as
1: it all is, the rest. <laughs> it is. And you, you, if you really believe that God is guiding you and calling you and leading you, then that's it. Yeah. End of story. True. That is yes. true. That's true.
0: Um, so, your dad and granddad—was your granddad a minister?
1: Sure. Yes, both no. of my grandfathers were ministers. All my uncles on both sides of my family and my aunts married ministers. I okay. mean, so it was—it was thick in the in the McFarland place. Yes, yes.
0: Um, so, so that your granddad and your dad went over to Libya. Now, did they speak? I guess
1: it's Arabic, right? Yes. No, they did not. But we had a we had a, an Air Force Base, a wheelless Air oh, Force Base yes. was stationed yes. in yes. Tripoli. So we had connected with a, a family that had been out of my Grandpa Gwen's church. My mother's mom's dad. The name was Gwen and Grandpa Gwen is actually it was his church that hosted the conference of the merger. And that's a whole nother story. Oh, wow. UPC. <laughs> because my grandmother housed like the Witherspoons and I mean, I don't know who all stayed in their home during right. time. And that has, I could write a book just on that alone. I, I do request that you write a book because
0: <laughs> maybe several volumes set. I think we have several books in here. It all needs to be uh, to be written yeah. on. For for all of us, but for your kids and grandkids. Anyway, right. that's that's a different topic. So your dad and granddad are in Libya, yeah. and then you
1: and your mom and brothers went to be with him. Uh, no, okay. uh, they had to suddenly leave the country because there was a, a a scam going on where a lot of Western countries were going over sending people over for businesses to develop North Africa. And they would leave a stamp off of the required um, passport and or visa. And so the, these people didn't know it at the end and they would get held for ransom and say you are illegally in this country and then contact whatever company had sent them over. Uh, To pay. Yes, that's it was all about. And miraculously, somebody pointed this out to my dad while they were there. And he he looked and he said, no, I don't have that stamp. And um, so that's that's when my grandpa said, I'm. I'm going to go down and get us tickets out of here because we're going to get nailed if we don't get get out of here. So, the U.P.C. doesn't have that much money to bail you out. No, we were not the rich oil companies or anything. Else. So uh, that they, they, but my dad would not leave there until he talked to the man that was in charge of that, and my grandpa was like come on, Bob, let's get out of here. It's okay. You can write him a letter. Dad said, nope, I'm going to look him face to face and tell him what the deal is. And he did wait all the whole day. They did not let him see the man until finally it was closing. Nobody else was in the office. The man had to come out of his office. (laughs) Trapped. Yeah. So dad said, sir, I just want to tell you, that I am not like other people that have come over here to this country. God has called me to come here and told me to come here and help your people. And he said, so I'm going to see you on the judgment day. One of these days, he said, I will see you. And he said, you will answer to God for why you blocked his plan for us to come here to your country. And he said, he just slammed his fist down on his desk and said, I will tell God why. And this was very belligerent. So anyway, dad said, all right, sir. And reached out to shake his hand. And then, uh, grandpa by that time had showed up and he said, all right, I've got us two tickets honey. and they flew out that night and landed in Cyprus on their way on over to Jerusalem where they spent the night okay and they were in Jerusalem they looked out and it was during the, uh prayer time mm-hmm. all of the men were lined up in rows on the streets for prayer and uh, grandpa said to my dad he said look aren't they dressed very similar to what you saw that man dressed and dad said well yes and so That's how we ended up. Then the Lord opened the door in Jerusalem, even to the point that we had a private audience with the late King Hussein in his palace. Wow. He told my dad, he said, I wish your church had 50 more men to send just like you. And it was a wide open door for a narrow window of time. And I, at that time I went to the friends girls school, uh, my experience of going to a private school—I'd always been in public school till then—but I remember walking in that first day into the Friends Girls School, and they all had on uniforms. This was in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. When you got to Jerusalem, yes, and they're all speaking Arabic and and just feeling my like clothes and raising my skirt, looking up under—I mean, <laughs> I I can tell you—you you were how old? How old were you? I, Stood there and said, "Thought, well, this is why I'm here." And I just smiled, and I was trying to communicate, but they they did speak some English, so uh, that was my experience. Into after being in the country one week and starting school in this completely foreign situation. So, how old were you? I was twelve. I was twelve at that time.
0: And you're your mom and your brothers, your brother,
1: were your brothers in the same school? Was it all girls school? You said, yeah, my brother went to the friends boys school, which okay. was down the road. And, and were the classes in such an Arabic or? They were supposed to be in English, but all the teachers were not all the teachers. Most of the teachers were Arabic speaking. So of course, whenever a student would ask a question, Nine times out of 10, they would ask it in Arabic, and then without thinking, the teacher would respond in Arabic. So I had to learn Arabic very quickly to survive.
0: So, how did you learn Arabic? Just,
1: just, had, I had Arabic lessons in the school. I learned it just from my friends. I would say to them, uh, My hair was super fine they had thick very thick oh, yeah. dark hair and mine was super fine and they uh they said uh that i had the tail of a mouse and so I learned that in Arabic <laughs> i love it our yeah.
0: friends wonderful <laughs> <Yes. laughs> tail of a mouse so um so you're 12 you how long were you I assume you didn't have to come back to go on deputation because there
1: was no deputation, right? There was no such thing as deputation. In fact, uh, we had just, um, excuse me. We had uh, a lady friend, Sister Margaret Hogg, who is now deceased from Canada and she had gone over there several years just working, but in that country and in that um, culture, she was extremely limited with what she could do by being a female and single. She had never married and she adopted a young uh, Arab boy whose name is Danny Hogg who lives in Canada and just a wonderful guy and has a beautiful family now in Canada. But uh, she couldn't baptize or do anything, but she was just kind of holding Bible studies and just getting to know the people and just kind of just doing whatever she could. So when we arrived, she lived in Bethlehem, so we would travel to Bethlehem uh, for Sunday service. And that's the other thing because it was a Muslim country, uh, they had Friday off. So we went to school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off, school Saturday, Sunday off, Monday, Tuesday, and that will mess up a weekend for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when we would travel there, uh, dad started uh, holding studies with the young men and oh my word this one group south of there south of Bethlehem the young men they wanted him to go visit this other group of guys and they would all put their arms on each other's shoulders around and then start chanting in Arabic to Satan and they had a a wicker basket in the front of in the middle of this circle with a stick tied to it. And they would chant and then get into some kind of a frenzy. And they would ask somebody would ask a question. And this stick literally wrote in the ground, in the sand, in the loose. I mean, it was pure satanic power. Wow. Um, And I will tell you that my dad was able to baptize some of them and the lord really uh broke into that area with amazing my, yes it was it was very amazing indeed but my dad was up speaking one sunday and all of a sudden he just stopped with a sh- just a shocked look on his face and we he he just stared back so we kind of then turned around to see what he was looking at and here the grandpa the the Abueta family the grandpa had come in through the door like over half the service was already over and he opened the door and came in and my dad told us afterwards he said that is the man I saw in my vision. Oh, and it was, it was just amazing. I, I mean, we have pictures with him and his sons and everybody. But my dad baptized several of that family. And we have stayed friends and connected. In fact, the one uh, would be that would be his grandson. Just passed away I think two weeks ago Michelle Abueta. Mm. we it, so it, how many every years later you yeah know, and that, in Jerusalem or
0: in in Israel in
1: Bethlehem and yeah.
0: more yes so so God even though sometimes the path he takes us is not a straight line <laughs> right.
1: definitely not.
0: But you, he always gets you to your destination if you take this step and then that step. Yeah. So,
1: I did want to throw this one thing in if I could. Yeah. I, I, before we got to Jerusalem, when they had a requirement that my parents had to go over for three months before uh, my two brothers and I could go over. So, we came to Missouri where my grandparents lived in. well, they lived in St. Louis, but they had a country home in Troy, Missouri. So we went to school there and lived, stayed with them for the end of that school year for the three months. Then my grandmother who was born and raised in Kentucky had never been out in the U- U.S., but she was a licensed UPC minister, very active, very <laughs> um, creative person she brought my two brothers and me over to Jerusalem and we had to spend the night in Cairo, Egypt. And that was something. And she said, now children, you may never be here again. We have got to go see the pyramids and what there is while we were in Cairo. So she hired a taxi and took us out there to the, the pyramids. We rode camels. We did the whole. This whole, was in the night? What? This was in the uh, night? Uh, it was It was getting dark by that time. And then we came back to this hotel that was called the Windsor Palace Hotel. It was like something out of a movie. It was, it was, it had the, you know, the wooden things on the elevators and the whole, it was, it was like, Old, it was very yeah, old. and then we the next morning our taxi driver slept outside the hotel to take us to the airport early, and it was still dark. And when we were coming out of the hotel, I stepped on a man who was lying sleeping across the doorway, and I remember just screaming, I was just like, Oh, <laughs> it was dark, and all this strange sounds. And I would think in my whole life that's probably the one and only time I felt completely foreign. Like yeah, I was in a, a strange place. It didn't last very long, and I never repeated it. But that I remember all the sounds and smells, and right. there was nothing the same. Right. And so, yeah.
0: um, two to- two things, and then and then we'll get to the question. If we run over a little bit past the thirty minutes, that's fine. Oh, I, I will. Have- say- I want no, 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 this is great. This is exactly, exactly on, on the spot. Um, there's so much fear in our, in our world today of the Islamic world, the, the Muslim context, all of those things. Talk to me a little bit about how it felt to be a 12 year old girl, um, pulled out of your comfort zone, um, put in this other culture and then how that's affected your life. And, and, and it wasn't in your, um, story and we, we might, we might not, but I, I'll just tell the audience that you spent how many years in Dubai even recently, two, two years, 2012 you Recently, was, was in Dubai for two years, working as in a school there. Um, yes. so you've been back, obviously you don't feel too out of, you know, you've been back, you, you enjoyed that time. So talk to me a little bit
1: about just some thoughts. Well, I do think that every experience we have is like putting a tool in our toolkit. I don't think anything oh, that know. happens to us, good, bad, or indifferent is lost or wasted. So, everything that I have ever experienced is part of who I am and who I'm supposed to be. And and everybody that's listening can say that. Yeah. So, uh, the thing that Uh, really gave me the advantage going to Dubai was my complete understanding of the culture and the um, Arabic and I mean all the things that you don't normally have coming from America and um, and it also allowed me because I was familiar with the Quran because we my friends at school i mean i love them dearly i mean we had there was no um problem of and i mean i remember running up and down the old city of jerusalem at night with my girlfriend and you know just no fear whatsoever and i and gary and i have made several trips back over there and stayed. But you're 12 and she's your friend so yeah and it's That's awesome I, I just I have never gotten hung up on what uh, the things that people believe or don't believe as defining who they are
0: oh I like that
1: yeah because I mean that is not the function of a belief system mm. it's to make us be a better person and I remember being in Dubai and I respected the fact that I was in a conservative Islamic university. I wore the abaya, you know, the hair covered, everything, robe, everything. Um, and I respected all of that. And I would personally pray every morning. It was like my prayer walk going from our 32nd floor apartment that was so cool. That was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to walking to the metro station and then all the way and just praying every day for God to help me to be prepared to know yeah. what I should do what, and to be ready. And there were doors that uh, And they about me believing in, um, you know, well, the reason they didn't like Christianity or couldn't do that it was because it believed because they only believe one God. And I said, well, guess what? And so I, I was able to explain and they said, no, no, you don't. You don't. <laughs> I said, no, I, I am telling you, I can show you right in the Bible where it says there's and so that opened up because I was answering their questions. They right. posed the question. I just gave the answer. Right. And I was respectful the whole time. And um, I will say we still have some of those discussions going on to this very day.
0: Well, that's that's awesome. My husband always says that a witness is a person who's called on the stand and asked questions and you simply answer the question. You don't set the you don't set the agenda, you don't you know make the rules you just simply ask the questions and i like that. yes um okay last thing and then we'll then we'll go to some questions i see we have some popping up already and that's yes. wonderful if you if you have a question go ahead and put it in um tell me the story about leaving jerusalem because uh, I mean, for some reason you had to leave jerusalem
1: tell me that story oh well the the tensions were heating up between uh, Palestine and the nation of Israel that had been established in 1948. And uh, it it was, we would be coming home from Bethlehem at night and have to go, we drove by no man's land, very close to no man's land and many times in the pitch dark of the night there would suddenly be a light shine on us flagging our car to stop, we would have to be searched by soldiers by, you know, question, what are you doing out here at this time of night? And I mean, that happened more than once and show our passports. So and when we went to school every day, we went to school in Ramallah, which is now the uh, PLO headquarters. Uh, They and we've been back and visited there and everything with no problem. I mean, we'd be the only Americans on the bus. Gary and I get on the yeah. buses and ride them everywhere. and doesn't so, bother you, does it? <laughs> so, I mean, you just need to be conscious. You need to be yourself. You don't need to be mm-hmm. something you're not and just love people and follow what the Lord tells you to do. I know there are times my brother, Bob and Beth were missionaries in Israel for 20 some years. And so we've been back and forth and visited and stayed in their home with them. And they would not go out the door without first praying for direction from the Lord, because that was after the war and after, a lot of bombings were taking place, and everything, and um, that's a whole nother thing of miracles. But every, we should do that every day, no matter when we go out okay. the door. Yes, but we should not exactly. do anything without first saying, "Lord, am I going right or left today? Am I going?" Yes, <laughs> literally
0: guide my steps. Yes, yes. So, so there was some something you, you wrote me in, in your notes ahead of time about a, a flight that was oh, oh I forgot yes you yeah. that's right. fine okay there's so many stories we could <laughs> yeah. we could have a week with with friends but anyway we'll, we'll keep it go ahead too many rabbit trails no that's so, fine it's awesome tell me about that about that
1: flight though well we had to uh I I gotta be careful what all I'm saying right here, but we had uh, just like less than a two days notice that we had to evacuate out of the country. And this was all on us. We didn't have anybody watching out for us or anything. So my dad, and by the way, this was a young Muslim guy who my dad and grandpa befriended when they were in Jerusalem back in 57 to be their guide. Okay. And he we are still friends to this day, very close friends. And uh, he came and told my dad at 11 o'clock at night that we were going to have to leave because he worked for the CIA in Jordan and he said there's a rumor that you are a spy mm. they had some word that we were somehow connected with israel or something i don't know what so uh he, we dad the next day ran down to the uh, chartered plane situation it was presidential airlines and it was a chartered private airlines and he said, I need seats for five. He said, we don't have any. And dad said, please, if you get any, the first time you have five seats, please contact me. So then he came madly back home. And then started, we started through our network to contact people, to buy the furniture, buy the silverware, buy everything. <laughs> so that we could have the money for the tickets even. So um, the Lord sent an an American Arabic family had just come over and they needed all household everything. They came in and just bought everything lock stock and barrel. So then this young man uh, Yahya said I will sell your car for you because you there's no way we could turn over a car that fast in that amount of time and he did and sent the money later. And then um, we just finally, I remember the frenzy and frantic, everybody trying to do and selling and people it was happening so fast. I was really kind of oblivious to it. I didn't have any sense of how serious this was. So finally, the dad just then soon as he got the money, the guy came from the travel agent and said, Yes, we have five seats so this plane was an old propeller job. and so they had three seats on one side and two seats on the other so they put our family of five on the wings and they said if you if we need to evacuate you will be the first out and Yay. yeah we're like oh, okay so So we, we, uh, I remember looking out the plane window and seeing big rings of rows of oil just streaming down the top of this wings. And I said to Bob, I'm like, look at that. Look at that. Well, I didn't know what it was. I said, look at that black stuff, you know, that's running on the wing. He's like, that looks like oil. Well, (laughs) anyway, so we, the plane was completely loaded with all, mostly Muslim women and children, all Arabic speaking. We were the only Americans on board. So when we got to, we, we took off and then we got to Rome and we're at some airport none of us had ever seen before. It, it looked like a closed down airport. There's nothing open, nothing. we were just sitting out on the runway. And they said, we have to get a, a part something for the engine. Okay. And they brought us some hard crusted bread and cheese to eat while we all waited. Then we took off from there and went to uh, Belfast, Ireland. And same thing, it was not the airport that we were, that we knew. Still, you know, no red flags, we're just going by right along. <laughs> we got in that airport and uh, waited and waited, and finally they said, okay, you can board now. We got back on that plane, and we had not been gone very long from the airport, and... Uh, one of the st- we we changed crews there and picked up a Scandinavian crew, and the, one of them came up and said to my dad, "Uh, we think we need to be ready. The pilot is going to fly over the water so that we can evacuate on over the water. You know how they tell you. How many times have you heard? Your seat is yeah. your flotation device. And all that. Well." <laughs> but, uh, got all, huh? <laughs> and the issue was, it was an 88 passenger plane. And we had over 100 people 100 bodies on board that plane. By that time, babies were crying. The air pressure was fluctuating low. And I mean, your ears were just it was terrible. We were out of water. Uh, it, I mean, I can't even describe it. And when I think now about if I had been the parent instead of the kid, I think if I was my mom, I would be terrified. But she just she and dad both just kept us very calm. And my dad, I remember looking over at him and just seeing him praying, praying, praying. And then when the stewardess came up and told him that. Uh, she said, and you'll, I'll need you to interpret to tell everybody what is going to happen. Well, my dad said to the everybody on board, he said, our plane is in trouble. We are all going to have to pray to the name of Jesus Christ. He said, everybody start calling the name of Jesus Christ because our plane is has got to be fixed. And I mean that whole plane we you could hear everybody yasuma yes, see si, yasuma yes, see si. everybody on the whole plane and some were crying. I mean by that time everybody knew something was bad right. wrong. And we were praying and praying and I remember you know kind of falling asleep and waking up and then have to pray again and pr- this happened all across the ocean till we made it to Newfoundland. Yeah. And so, uh, Flanders, Newfoundland is where we landed and they, they had to take some people to the hospital off of the plane. And this is, people have said to me, you guys got back on that plane to go to (laughs) New York. Yes, we did. I mean, at that time, there were no other options and we didn't want to stay in Newfoundland so <laughs> oh, I'm going to for uh, for yeah. I guess you didn't have money or whatever so. no I mean you're stuck yeah you wow. and God. this what it amounts to yeah well we finally landed in New York and uh, my grandmother happened to be at a snack place at the aer- airport in New York and she heard these two guys talking and said, can you believe it? That plane made it. And and the guy goes, oh, no way. No, there is no way. He says, yeah, it's landing. And she didn't know. She just thought, you know, it's All a right. plane that they're talking about. When we hit the runway, I mean, there were fire engines, red lights, everything, spraying water, doing everything. They thought it was going to blow up. And they, they got us off. I remember just they opened chutes and everything to get everybody off the plane as quickly as possible. Didn't even stop us through customs. Just pushing and to get, get on in this room. <laughs> and,
0: it's not uh, funny, but it's
1: funny. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, this is preposterous, really. Uh, but two weeks later, I will tell you, that we were hearing on a Sunday morning had the news, and a presidential chartered flight coming out of Belfast, Ireland, crashed, and everyone aboard was killed. I I have no idea what all of that was about, but um,
0: hmm.
1: I, I do know who owned the chartered flight and all of that. So I'm not going to get into all that. (laughs) It was You know, it's just more of the junk that goes on in our world.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. The devaluing of life of it. So, um, but you got home. Oh, but I need to tell you right near Richmond, Indiana, there was a family that was saved under my grandpa McFarland and they went to church in a nearby town. And he woke up in the night, Brother Gary Huddleston. He woke up in the night and told his wife, who was out of my mom and dad's church before they got married, and said, "Um, we need to pray. He said, somebody's in in an airplane and there's trouble. He would pray and she would pray. And he said he could see like a giant hand just go up under the airplane and carry it. And then they would kind of doze back off to sleep and then God would wake them up again. And they would pray and that same thing. He had no idea who was flying anybody. He didn't know of a soul that was in an airplane. But they faithfully did that. And it was um, a few weeks later when we actually uh, somehow the story of our plane and he said to his wife that That was the same night we were praying for. That was the McFarland's. So um, that's amazing. That is, it's, it's beyond amazing. Yes.
0: Yes, that's, that's great. Erica. Hello. I didn't what? want to, I didn't want to cut you off. So <laughs> That's a, You've got such great stories. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Okay. What, what kind of questions have we got? We here? have a few questions. So okay. got this one says, what is the most amazing place you have visited and why?
1: I would have to say Dubai probably at this point. That was just amazing. To, to see Why would, is it amazing. Right your desert and one side's all these huge tallest building in the world and everything. how do they
0: because I've seen pictures one of our screensavers uh is is a picture from the air of dubai how do they
1: get the where's the water come from they have like they, every, they process it well or something yes they process it from the water bodies and okay. they do have some wells and okay
0: i've i've like how do they do that (laughs) that's amazing it it looks like an amazing place i've also heard um our missionaries from nigeria uh of course we always go through london it's just american that's how they do it but um they've flown emirates and they they've flown to dubai and then back and they said first of all it's it's the best airline service anywhere I guess to promote tourism or whatever, if you fly Emirates and have a layover in Dubai, they give you a complimentary tour or something. And so they're, they're like, if you ever get a chance, you should do that. And it takes longer, of course, because you have to fly past Nigeria in the back, so we never have done it. But um, yeah, it, it seems like an amazing place to visit.
1: It really is. And, and yeah. the people are amazing. Uh, only about less than 20% of the population of Dubai are actually local people mm. uh, they're they're expats from all over the world they're working and doing and
0: we have a, a Steve and I have a friend right now that they're running an apple store I think so, similar yes. kind of thing yeah interesting, interesting. Okay, so we have another question. Um, Can you tell us some of your experiences in teaching in Dubai? And did you wear did you have to wear a hajib?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, It's called an abaya in some places, a burqa in other places. Hajib is a head thing. Yes, I did as to honor their code system. As I said, it was conservative Islamic University. I had some students that were completely veiled and some half veiled. Were um, your students all women? Yes. Did you, okay. I was the only female on staff. So whenever we'd have a staff meeting, <laughs> I'd have to go over to the male side up to the conference area. And I was the only female instructor. There. So, I thought that
0: was interesting.
1: Yes. Some wonderful, wonderful professors that I'm also in touch with still. Yeah. Interesting. But what was the first part of that question? Um, some,
0: they, they, just some experiences in teaching in Dubai. Oh,
1: one of the things, uh, one of the first courses I taught, first of all, I went over with a colleague of mine from this Ivy Tech Community College in Indiana. Uh, She had been my former program chair and she and I went together for the month before I actually started work and created the whole education program. That was the plan was for us to just, all the syllabi, the textbooks, the order of courses, everything. And so we created all of that. And it was at the end of that month, we were just there for the month of July. They asked me, would I like a job there? And I said, you're asking me if I want to work here? And um, they said, yes. And I said, yes, absolutely. And they said, well, would you like an interview? And I said, yes. She said, okay, Mr. Abdullah will see you now. And I said, right now. Uh, now? (laughs) So, so I jumped up and went in, you know, and he, uh, started interviewing me everything. And, uh, so they said, okay, yes, you, that's good. You can be hired. So,
0: (laughs) so what did you teach? I came
1: back to this. I taught, um, I started out with teaching early childhood teachers. That's what we decided to do, was start out with early childhood, then moving to elementary, then middle school, well, secondary school, first and right. second secondary. So uh, I created a, a lab early childcare center there for the students that could use, and it could be used as a lab place for the- for the oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> for the um, students to go in and do practicum, but it was very tricky because I couldn't show any image of any animals or any human, very conservative, and so I had to, and, and at first um, the <laughs> mullah told me no music, I said we have to have music. You cannot teach some things in early childhood without music. And I said, it will not be entertainment. It is only education and it's to learn different things. I demonstrated how you could rhyme certain things or whatever. So, and I even remembered some of my, uh, early from Jordan songs about the bis, the cat and different things that I could (laughs) still to him. So, Anyway, we got all of that organized and done. And then my first course to actually teach was Psych 101. And in that culture, it is it is like almost anathema to talk about mental, you know, checking your brain or your mental health or what it's right. like. So I started out by having them do, um, the, Oh my word, the personality test that everybody oh, knows. Yeah. Myers- and we had to do that. And then I did several others that they would go in on the computer and they're like, Oh, you know, this is, this is got my profile. So that was an interesting thing. And I got to do a lot of, experiential hands-on things teaching it it was most enjoyable we just had a wonderful that
0: sounds amazing
1: yeah but again I would not have been able to do that if I did not have the formal required education right to do that so I put a plug in for that too that uh, if God is calling you toward a certain degree to plan and and prepare yourself that's what you need to do wherever you are out there that's what you need to do it's not all
0: just experiences
1: no you've got to have a piece of paper piece of paper yeah all of my stuff like my degrees uh wedding uh marriage certificates birth certificates had to be what's called attested it had to go through they have lawyers that this is all they do well, I wasn't gonna pay a lawyer to do this. I'm saying, how hard can this be? <laughs> we did it and I got a little system down but you have to send to the original place where you were married or where you were born and and get that certain stamp. And then there's a little fee, like in some places it's $6 or somebody else. So I made a whole packet and I put, sticky notes on there. After you after you complete this, please mail this next envelope. And I had them all addressed where the next one went, the next one went. <laughs> 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 but it was, that was crazy. Huh. But that, that is something you don't know that you have to yeah. do. Huh. Interesting. Interesting.
0: So we have another question that says, have you witnessed or experienced
1: any miracles? Well, we heard some already, but. <laughs> yes, I had, um, I was diagnosed with lupus when we came back, when I was 15, 15, 16, somewhere in there, I was diagnosed with descoid lupus, which is like the skin. Uh, I had the butterfly rash and all of that. And then I went into systemic lupus, And I had to go on heavy prednisone and uh, some stuff that hydrochloroquine and everything else. And they, so that was for years I did, I would, whenever we decided to have a child, I would go off of this medication and try to get my system cleared out from it before I would try to become pregnant. And you know, everything worked around this and pray and there are times that I couldn't even function and the worst I was when we were assigned to Germany and our kids were still small I couldn't even stand up my joints were just well I couldn't I would just be in the bed just almost delirious so um, and that's when two different chaplains wives Church of Christ not the miracle believing kind and um, a Nazarene Wesley and Nazarene lady, chaplain's wife. They came in and prayed for me and God relieved my situation where I could at least get up and start functioning. And then um, we, we were stationed in New York in Waterloo, New York and at Seneca army base and I went to the ladies' conference in 1990, I think it was. Brother Lee Stone King was speaking at this ladies' conference of about a 1,000 people. And as he was speaking, and I didn't know anybody there. I just knew Sister Robinson, who was the pastor's wife, but she was off flitting around somewhere doing something. And so I'm sitting in this huge sea of ladies by myself, and as he's speaking he said someone is needing uh, healing here <coughs> well in a group that size you would think about half of them would be jumping to their feet and flocking nobody moved which i was like this is really weird because everybody's got some problems <laughs> so, <laughs> so um <coughs> then he went on i'm sorry about that so then he went on speaking he stopped again looked right in the section where I was sitting and said someone in this area needs healing (coughs) for lupus so I stood up walked up to the front (coughs) I'm so sorry that's fine don't worry about it and so he prayed for me Very calmly prayed. <coughs> oh, this is awful. Don't worry about it. We're friends. Okay. To <laughs> you can cough here to chat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he said, Do you want your healing? Mm. I said, uh, Yes. He but said, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you you can't waffle on this you either decide that you're going to accept God's healing because he wants to heal you today he said so you either accept that and then you don't keep treating and doing and acting like you wow. said. <laughs> well I knew on prednisone and some other medications. You graduate up to where you are. Then you graduate down. Yeah, you yeah. Just stop, stop this stuff cold turkey. I knew that and I said yes, I, I mix. I want that. So then I went back to my seat. There was no big hoopla. I mean, it was very quiet all of it. And I had a little talk with the Lord and I said, okay, I know I'm not supposed to stop this cold turkey, but I feel very strongly that I'm done. This is it. You've touched me. The lady that was healed by Jesus. When she touched the hem of his garment, she was instantly healed. And I said, so I'm accepting that. I completely stopped every medication. That was it. I mean, I had the moon face syndrome. I was, you know, yeah. So when I got back home, I told my doctor, oh, he was so mad. He, he said, I will not have you as a patient. I said, I understand that, sir. I, I clearly understand what you're saying. But I said, there's no way I could explain to you why I made this decision and why I'm sticking with it. And so I have never had another episode of lupus from that day till right now, so yes. That is a big miracle. Right there.
0: Yeah, I guess that's, yeah. that's pretty massive. Lupus yeah. is not something minor.
1: All right. Well, we
0: are at eight o'clock and I know there's one more question, but we can, we can hold it off to later. It's for my mom about how you met your husband. So we'll, we'll push that and uh, get that story some other time. I okay. sure. I'm sure that's a good one.
1: But yes, probably
0: is. more than thirty seconds. So, um,
1: <laughs> thank <laughs> um, you all so much for letting me do this. I love it. It has been awesome.
0: So let me <laughs> close out by saying, if if you would like more information about our church or just want to go uh, nose around, uh, NewarkUPC.info is the place to go to make a request for to get baptized or prayer requests or testimonies. There's uh, old, old uh, videos on there. You can see all the stuff we put up over the past year online, song playlists, all kinds of wonderful resources. So newarkupc.info is the place to go. And we will see you tomorrow evening, seven o'clock for our nightly broadcast. Have a good evening.
1: Thank you.